Test Tube Thursdays brings our science expert, Dan Riskin, into play. Nice to have you. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you. All right. Any new study about cats I will always find intriguing. As a matter of fact, I was reading a study about cats this week that suggested that they actually do like their human companions, but we just don't get it. But what's the latest? I love I love this idea of breaking news. Cats might like us a little. Like that's that's the sort of the state of the relationship. It's so abusive. Um, this is a study about uh, psychosis in people and whether or not it's correlated with having had a cat when you were a kid. Uh, and you know the odds of developing psychosis are quite small uh, for everyone. But uh, this might be a risk factor. And the mechanism by which you could be put at risk is that cats, when they hunt rodents, sometimes get a parasite called toxoplasma. And toxoplasma has been shown to change the behavior of the mice that get it. It changes the behavior of other animals that can get it. And sometimes people do get it. And when people do get it, it can affect the brain and it can affect the personality and it can do a bunch of things. And it's been linked to certain diseases like schizophrenia, Uh, not a pure cause and effect, simple one-to-one relationship. Not that all schizophrenia cases are caused by this parasite, but that having the parasite puts you at increased risk of schizophrenia, I think has got pretty good support right now. So if people had cats when they were kids, does that mean that they have psychosis now? So this is a study out of Montreal. It's a McGill study, but they went to downtown Montreal and got uh, 2,000 or so uh, adults and had them fill out a questionnaire about their mental health experiences as as adults and about what their childhood was like and whether they bumped their head and some other things. And also, did they have a cat? And was that cat allowed to go outside? And what they got from their results is that uh, people who had a cat that was allowed to go outside and by extension hunt rodents uh, were at increased risk. This only showed up in the males in the data set, not in the females uh, of people. I'm not talking about the cats. I'm talking about the people who uh, who have uh, who had cats. Um, but yeah, adult men in Montreal who had outdoor cats when they were kids are at about a 57% increased risk for psychosis compared to people who did not have a cat that went outside. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's an awful lot to chew on, as a matter of fact. Okay, it so is. what is it in this modern era that we are still learning about playground swings because scientists have fun so this is i love this because i spent uh when i was doing my phd i worked with a bunch of engineers and i was interested in how bats crawl and so of course that's very important but what they were studying was silly they were doing how people walk right and so they had these robots that could walk down a ramp and they were constantly turning them into point masses and making these mathematical models and so when i saw this study i just was i smiled because it reminded me of these lovable buffoons who want to study the most basic things but find things when they look at it and so uh this is uh the physics of how you swing on a swing, which uh, my kids are now at an age where they don't go for the swing set as often now, but I've spent a lot of time standing behind a swing, pushing or not pushing and fighting with my kids over whether they need pushes or whether they can do it themselves. Um, This is the physics of how you make the swing go yourself. And what they found from their mathematical models and from experiments with people is that the optimal strategy is when you're starting out, you do that lean back move at the bottom of the swing. I mean, when you're really starting, you really have no choice but to do it at the very bottom of the swing because you're not moving yet. So you do that to get the pump starting. And then as as you have a very small amplitude swing happening, the optimal time to assume that position is at the bottom of the swing. But once you start to get a little momentum, the optimal time to do that, that move shifts backwards to the point that once you've got a really good swing going, the best time to be extending your legs and leaning back is when you're all the way back on the swing. And, you know, anybody who's gone on a 
swing or had a kid go on a swing in front of them knows that this is what people instinctively do. But here they showed the mathematically that humans have a good intuition for exactly how they should do it perfectly and that they probably couldn't improve if they tried. Great. Now I'm, I'm just going to end up preoccupied by all this research if I'm on a swing and I'm probably going to yeah. get everything wrong. Well, that, but that's, that's the beauty of this, right? Is that, you know, like if, if I'm, so I've, my kids, I, I am definitely going to be pulling this out of the playground. I'm like, you know, kids, if you don't think mathematics affect you every day, <laughs> and they'll be like, quiet dad and push. And I'll be like, you, I'm not pushing you. You need to optimally lean back, you know, or maybe make them try to figure out when the optimal lean back is and come up with a guess and then tell them whether they got it right or wrong. There are lots of ways to play with this and try to get my kids hooked on physics, if, if not just hooked on playground equipment. Okay. So I guess this is good news for mice, maybe one day for humans, scientists are engineering bacteria to fight cancer. This is very cool. So we, you know, there's a lot of attention that's gone into the gut microbiome of people, you know, that, that if you have a healthy gut microbiome, the bacteria that live in your gut, if they're doing well, and you have a good population, you're going to have better overall health. And this has been shown in a bunch of different ways. Um, but we also have bacteria that live on the outside of our bodies on our skin. And that is probably an important constituent of good health as well. And so uh, there's a, a, a strain of staphylococcus, we always hear about the bad strain. So staphylococcus is a scary word, but there's a staphylococcus epidermidis that's on our skin all the time that doesn't do anything bad and here scientists are trying to see if they can make it do good so they have these mice and these mice have uh, been given a skin cancer on their flank like on the side of their body and what they did is they genetically engineered the bacteria they took the normal bacteria that lives on mice's skin and our skin it's just a general bacteria but then they genetically modified it so that it would produce antigens like chem uh, basically uh, proteins that look like skin cancer and so the the idea is that you put that back on the mouse the mouse's immune system is going to react to it and it's going to develop a taste for that kind of skin cancer so that it knows how to attack the cancer that's growing on its body so they did exactly this they they modified the dna of the bacteria then they swabbed it on the head of the mouse not where the what not where the cancer was but just on its head and then they left it and the mouse the mice started to heal and they said it looked like magic it was just amazing so the 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 mouse is responding to the uh the stuff that's being made by the bacteria its whole immune system sort of gets trained on it and then its immune system's like oh and while i'm doing that there's this flying thing on the side of my body i can attack that too and so uh hopefully this will get into human trials soon but wouldn't that be a little bit easier to take you know a swab of bacteria on your arm instead of getting an, an injection or, or or worse okay and the notion that uh, climate changes is uh, always being floated by people who argue, well, you know, I mean, there's no big deal with climate change because climate has evolved previously. Uh, but we are finding some proof that, for example, in BC, things were at one time a lot warmer. They were a lot warmer. I mean, this is like 58 million years ago. So this is like, I mean, I always put things in terms of bats, but bats had barely evolved yet. So, you know, it's a long time ago. I mean, this is just like 10 million years after the dinosaurs went extinct. But uh, some fossils from Burnaby, BC uh, with palm leaves. So the kinds of it, it just shows that the climate there is the kind of climate you would see in in uh, Florida. So, yes, it does show that uh, the climates do change over geological time. And that's not a big surprise. But I think that, you know, 58 million years to get from palm trees to what Burnaby looks like now. And compared to the rest of Canada, frankly, Burnaby is palm trees because it's so much warmer than other places. Yeah. 
But uh, nonetheless, uh, that is over tens of millions of years. And so what we're seeing right now in terms of climate change is over, you know, decades. And so it's going to be a very different experience in terms of how animals react or plants and animals respond to climate change in this stage. But uh, change has been with us all along. And so some people take solace in that. For a lot of people, you know, they say, well, you know, it's changing and it's, it's going to be an ugly mess. But we know the earth in the long term is going to be able to bounce back. And that's definitely true. Whether we're part of that or not, that's a, a good question. Yeah. Whether rhinos get to live on, we'll see. Dan Riskin, thank you so much. Thank you. Dan Riskin is our science expert. And yeah, that last point that Dan just made, it's absolutely true. No matter what, the earth will survive even if we don't. And, you know, we may end up with a completely inhospitable climate that does all kinds of terrible things. And who knows, maybe mankind goes extinct, but the earth will survive in whatever capacity it ends up in. Aren't you in that movie? Yes. The Day After Tomorrow? Yeah, that one. Yeah. You know, I still get paid for that. It always amuses me when people mock my acting career. I get it. I never did Hamlet at Stratford. But, but you did yell about Manhattan flooding. I get $1,000 a year for, for sure. that. And I, got I have to, for 20 years. And I got to cheer on the iceberg, so it's good. Yeah. So, um, yes, I was in that particular movie. The other one that continues to pay is actually, as I discovered uh, quite recently when I was meeting with a, um, an ACTRA board member, the movie, The Whole Nine Yards, qualifies as the movie that has generated the most residual income in history in Canada because it was a very small cast. There's like 22 of us in that movie, and each of us get a check every single year.